Okay, so now we're back to talking about corrupt Clarence Thomas and wife's growing scandals and scams. And uh, this is basically like a part two. I said I would do a little follow-up piece with the topic of Clarence Thomas. And this is also for the people who are wondering, well, why is he in trouble? What has he done that's wrong? And, uh, you know, those who defend him for whatever reason, I personally wouldn't go that far out of my way to defend Clarence Thomas or really any other Supreme Court justice, at least I don't think. You know, um, I don't really have that big of a need to defend any political figures most of the time, unless the lies against them are so egregious or something that I might, you know, I guess dip my toe into the fire in that sort of circumstance. But generally speaking, you know, I don't really care that much. Um, but when it, when it comes to issues of corruption, then, you know, obviously I care, you know, of, about whether or not the person is actually guilty because they are public figures and you should be able to hold them accountable. And so in this case, the Code of Judicial Conduct for United States Judges has something called Canon 2, which is that a judge should avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety in all activities, and that is a direct quote from that. So Justice Thomas has faced criticism for accepting gifts and travel accommodations from individuals and organizations that have an interest in the court's decisions. This criticism has been particularly focused on his close personal relationship with wealthy conservative donor Harlan Crow. And yes, that is his real name. It sounds a bit like, you know, a superhero superhero villain name or something like that. Or, or may, to be fair, it could be a, a superhero's, you know, uh, uh, real name and, and that kind of stuff. But no, his real name is Harlan Crow. And he's reportedly paid for numerous trips and gifts to Justice Thomas and his coup-supporting wife, Ginny Thomas. Crow said his gifts were no different from the hospitality we have extended to our many other friends. So, um, yeah, that obviously implies his money may be corruptly influencing other public officials. So maybe people should be looking into that a little bit. You know, that there could be other prominent figures in positions of privilege and power who are, you know, getting a little bit of a special treatment from Mr. Crow. While Justice Thomas has not officially been found to have broken any laws or ethical rules, his acceptance of such gifts and travel accommodations has raised questions about his impartiality and judgment and he could be under criminal suspicion for not reporting them. So it's very important to note that this has actually been admitted, apparently, by Mr. Crow. So there's no, uh, there's no real uh, need exactly to say that all of these things are alleged. You just have to say whether or not it is an alleged crime or something like that. So um, it is a scandal, though. You can publicly say that without getting in trouble. So Justice 
Clarence Thomas also, he has another conflict of interest. He has apparently secretly participated in Coke network donor events. This has been revealed recently through, through uh, ProPublica.org. They did a piece on this. And uh, I don't think anybody's really all that surprised by this. You know, like I said in my last little talk on this topic, I think it's about time that, you know, these uh, public officials, they should be expected to wear uniforms that have the names of their donors written on them. You know, like the top five or maybe the top ten donors could be written on their sleeves, sort of like NASCAR drivers have to wear the names of their sponsors. And uh, yeah, that's just one idea. But let, let's look more specifically at, you know, what exactly is going on here, why this is bad and why he's in trouble. So going back to the Harlan Crow thing, you know, th this is something that would be relevant to Congress. And I also think someone should ask the Attorney General Jack Smith, oops, I mean Fannie, Fannie Willis, oops, I mean Merrick Garland, a few questions about whether there, there was a criminal aspect to Justice Thomas's behavior, if there was a breach of any statute, and what could be done about it. You know, it's, it's a fair thing for a person to do, and, you know, there may be steps toward impeachment here. Of course, this is also kind of, sort of, a part of the Ronald Reagan legacy. Reagan was famous for saying, tear down, the, tear down this wall regarding the Berlin Wall, but people forget he was also one of the innovators who said, tear down this wall, even more between corporations and moneyed interests and the state, as well as saying, tear down this wall between church and state, which actually is also relevant to a bunch of stuff happening right now under the right-wing Supreme Court. And, you know, that's one of the questions about inf influence happening here. You know, like, how many other uh, people might be receiving this kind of influence, you know, in terms of, you know, getting nice, neat little prizes, like, oh, uh, being able to board a super yacht, which is apparently, according to what I've read, something that uh, Clarence Thomas was able to enjoy. So the Code of Judicial Conduct for United States Judges, which to my understanding uh, also fully applies to the Supreme Court judges, states that a judge should be professional under Canon 3. A judge should perform the duties of the office fairly, impartially, and diligently. So here's a, here's a list of what is expected. A judge should be faithful to and maintain professional competence in the law and should not be swayed by partisan interests, public clamor, or fear of criticism. Also, a judge should hear and decide matters assigned unless disqualified and should maintain order and decorum in all judicial proceedings. So... You know, I think Clarence Thomas has kind of failed in that regard because he basically revealed that he is intending on making 
certain kinds of decisions to sort of own the libs, so to speak. So that does not sound like impartiality to me. It doesn't sound like order and decorum exactly. And uh, it certainly doesn't sound like, you know, he's trying to be free of partisan interests. So also notice the word disqualifies that they toss in there. So what does that entail? Disqualification should apply according to that uh, code of judicial conduct for United States judges. It says a judge shall disqualify himself or herself in a proceeding in which the judge's impartiality might reasonably be questioned. Further down in the code of conduct, it says, the judge should divest investments and other financial interests that might require frequent disqualification. In fact, the code of conduct even goes so far as to say, Canon 3 requires disqualification of a judge in any proceeding in which the judge has a financial interest, however small. Now, little details like that are important, however small. In other words, it sounds like it is supposed to be pretty strict. So the question is, why hasn't it been? And if you want to read this, you can look at the uscourts.gov page and just look up this code of conduct. You should be able to find it or do a Google search or any number of things like that. So uh, forgive me for getting a bit into anarchic theory here, here, but I don't necessarily think one need be a radical to grasp this theory, you know, even though um, it does have some underlining characteristics that relate to anarchism. But, you know, the, the idea is that if a public official does not do what they're supposed to do, then you should at least relieve them of their position. You know, that's, uh, you should call into question that position of authority. Because in this case, it also happens to be backed by fact, which is why it's not just a radical premise. These codes of conduct and laws don't mean a thing if they are not enforced. You know, that's, that's another sort of obvious point. And if there is no culture around that is ready, willing, and able to hold the, hold the powerful accountable, then, you know, all these codes of conduct and whatnot, they just, they just become irrelevant. There are only so much paper, so to speak. Hence, as noted in any other episode on Clarence Thomas and his wife, she's apparently allowed to have all sorts of interests in anti-immigration organizations. Yet somehow this does not mean Clarence Thomas should recuse himself on immigration decisions. What's wrong with this picture, you know? That's another topic. And I would, I would like to think that there's some people out there who might not even be hugely in favor of immigration, who would still agree on a principled point that, yeah, he should recuse himself if his, if his wife is involved in those sorts of matters. Because, you know, in a way, it's not just a matter of, you know, your own partisan lean on an issue. If, if there is corruption, you know, some influence happening here, well, it becomes a matter of recusal, regardless of the issue. Well, at least theoretically. It should also be noted that, no, it's not just the court system that's supposed to have 
lofty standards when it comes to ethics and apparent conflicts of interest. There are actually plenty of universities, for example, that have certain restrictions against the acceptance of gifts and hospitality from external parties because it's understood that even in a university, hey, this might not make it look good for the university. It might make it seem as if some people are getting special treatment by the university or whatever. You know, if it's some other business that might have this sort of standard, then hey, that's a another thing to take into consideration. You know, ethics, they are sort of applicable to a lot of different organizations. You know, I think sports teams, they often have ethics standards. So it's it's not just, you know, like the courts being hard asses or whatever. You know, this is supposed to be kind of a general thing for a lot of different organizations that you're going you're gonna to have expectations of ethical standards and all that kind of stuff. So uh, to put it in somewhat of a legalese form, uh, acceptance of gifts and hospitality from any person or persons with a personal or financial interest in the subject matter of judicial decision is improper and may reflect an impermissible offer of personal favor in exchange for official action. You know, that's how you might say that in a courtroom, you know, if this was to actually you know, end up in a courtroom or, you know, an, an impeachment process. So here's another thing uh, to get into the, the specifics here. As a real estate owner, landlord, and commercial, residential, and industrial developer, developer Mr. Crow's business has interests in virtually every type of business that could affect the court's decisions. So keep that in mind because, you know, how many different decisions involve real estate, you know, commercial interest, uh, and just industry in general that might be tied into the uh, business dealings of somebody like Harlan Crow. Harlan Crow's father was described as the largest landlord in the United States by Forbes magazine. So how many cases end up in some way or another, involving private property rights or maybe even a specific property of, you know, a, a wealthy landowner. It seems like a hell of a lot of that could happen. In fact, it's it seems those interests might end up being related to cases where, upon first glance, it might not even seem like they are related. You know, they might be tangentially related, yet still have some impact. The website accountable.us has plenty to say on this. And uh, it's a pretty damning amount of uh, issues that they raise. But, you know, I'm just going to give a quote here from accountable.us president Kyle Herrig regarding the creative relationship between Thomas and Crow. So Herrig says... From secret luxury travel to full-on property sales, we know Justice Thomas scored big from his cozy relationship with conservative billionaire Harlan Crow. But now we're just or we're seeing just how Crow's interests have gotten the boost from a friend on the nation's highest court. 
Over decades, these two have maintained a highly problematic financial relationship that has facilitated what looks like corruption at the highest levels. Thomas Crow and everyone involved must be held accountable. So, yeah, I can definitely see that. I kind of hate to harp on the same point again and again, but, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Justice Thomas accepted numerous week-long luxury trips on Crow's super yacht, apparently on his private jet, and he's had private resort stays. Well, how nice would that be? Sounds like a good job if you can get it. I guess those taxpayer dollars he makes through his job just weren't enough. He had to hobnob with a billionaire and, you know, get on a super yacht, nice private jet traveling, you know, living the high life. Justice Thomas has been been receiving gifts for years, according to all these different sources, but that is not the only problem. What is also significant is the connection to Crow's friends and associates and politics, business, and other things we probably don't even know about and may never know about. How much of a winding road is this? How deep is the rabbit hole? Is there really a rule of law or just the grift that keeps on giving? That's a bit of what's at stake here. Uh, once one bit of corruption is allowed, it only makes sense that others would want in on that game too. And then you have something like a bunch of ants teaming on a tasty little food item. Only in this case, that food item is the Supreme Court, and the ants are these pesky little influence seekers. Knowing if they line a judge's pockets, maybe they can open any door they choose. And what do you know? Maybe there's some blackmail possibilities as well. You know, you can have a whole bunch of things going on, a bunch of little scandals, you know, mini scandals packed into a giant scandal, sort of like those Russian dolls that you open up and, oh, there's another one inside. You know, you can have a, a whole bunch of things like that. And, uh, you know, if you're a prosecutor, it might be hard to even choose where to start in a case like this because it could end up being like a game of whack-a-mole, you know, I mean, which charge do you go after? and all that kind of stuff, because even though, yes, I, I think it's a lot to do with the uh, Supreme Court rules, and you can only get rid of a Supreme Court justice through impeachment, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were other crimes that, you know, uh, could be uh, investigated that relate to this kind of, kind of stuff. You know, like if, if there's any sort of lies going on or any anything like that. The storybook version of Law and Order ends up looking like a lie. And the judge's code of conduct and the U.S. Constitution itself might as well just be toilet paper. Flush it all down and we can ride right along with it. What a fun ride. It doesn't have to be that way. But who doesn't want a joy ride in a rich guy's super yacht? You know, that's... That's something I can understand. You know, I can understand corruption just like it, just like it can understand a hit and run. You know, like if you hit, if you hit somebody with, with your car, doesn't it make sense to just drive away and try not to get caught, but you know, it's still a crime. And, uh, this is still an impeachable series of offenses. So, um, yeah, I, I hope to see something actually happen 
regarding these issues. But I'm not going to hold my breath. It's a wait and see kind of thing and a public pressure sort of thing. And yeah, well, that's all I have to say about it for now. And you have a nice day.